Hello. This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Very. Here, you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Hey there, Conscious Combat Soul. What, you? Yes, I'm talking to you. If you listen to this podcast, then you are a human being who loves combat and wants to be conscious about the way that you're doing it. You're interested in being more trauma-informed, more inclusive, and more ethical in the way that you teach and participate in martial arts and combat sports. And that's why I would like to invite you specifically to join our new group, the Conscious Combat Club. We're on Facebook, and there's an emailing newsletter that you can sign up for, the details for both of which are in the show notes here. But now, let's get to today's episode. Welcome to the Fight Back podcast, everyone. I am here today with Professor Anna Drews. Now, Anna is a medical anthropologist. She teaches social medicine and she has experienced personal healing through martial arts, which she experienced among many other things. So Anna's going to tell you all about it, but she um, has dabbled in and teaches in many different healing modalities and and body-based healing modalities. So Anna, would you care to expand upon that a little bit? Your introduction is very hard to give because your life has been so full. Yes, uh, indeed. Um, Yeah, thank you for introducing uh, me. Actually, uh, um, I am here today because... uh, martial arts uh, uh, somehow uh, saved my life. I wouldn't been uh, here and I wouldn't probably even been seated without uh, martial arts and also uh, yoga and other uh, awareness based uh, uh, methods. Um, Yes, and uh, I'm so passionate about sharing how this whole journey worked for me and uh, why uh, um, why and when I I experienced difficulties in the process of uh, of healing and uh, why this information might be helpful for for people to know on their own uh, uh, journey towards wholeness, integration and uh, health. Yes. So let's start a bit with your story. So I think for the purpose of this podcast, it might be good to kind of um, give a bit of an overview of all the things that happened in your childhood, which were very significant, um, but I am mindful of time. And then kind of start at the point where you got into martial arts and talk through some of the difficulties more specifically. Okay. Uh, Then uh, let's get into the trauma history uh, uh, right away. Because uh, um, the healing journey is mostly about uh, healing trauma. And um, our understanding of trauma normally is, uh, is very reduced to, uh, to the definition or found in the uh, international classification of disease uh, uh, three and four, which somehow refers to uh, dramatic events uh, that uh, disrupt your life. 
And uh, this uh, uh, nowadays, it's very well understood that any event that um, that overwhelms the, uh, the capacities of your nervous system at the time when you experience it uh, uh, to, uh, to any kind of even slight degree can cause your survival system to kick in and want to protect you and then develop some, uh, some symptoms of uh, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder in the end. So, um, my own history with trauma is very mixed. I had, um, I had big events and I had small events and they all led to something like uh, what is called in the medical world now complex trauma. So the first event which really impacted me the most was quite traumatic. That was when I was uh, uh, two years and and uh, 11 months, I had an, uh, uh, actually it was an accident which happened after the birth of my, uh, my younger sister, which was already kind of traumatic uh, uh, for me. Um, like most children, like most firstborn, I was intensely jealous and, um, I didn't like to share the attention of my parents and uh, I wanted to get rid of that baby and I knew it wouldn't be a good idea of uh, uh, making these uh, feelings known to my parents. So the day when my mother told me that she would uh, leave the baby alone and go with me uh, uh, alone, only with me, for shopping um, on her bicycle, I was over to it. And sitting off on her bicycle in the early 60s, um, we didn't have all these uh, safety measures uh, we have with uh, children on the bicycle these days. So I was just sitting on that bicycle and having my legs sparking in uh, all directions out of joy. And in this um, expansive movement out of joy, my, uh, my right leg got into, uh, into the wheel of the bicycle and uh, my mother overturned and we both fell and uh, my leg was broken. And it was a spiral uh, uh, break, meaning that it wasn't seen very straight at the beginning. But in, during the, uh, the day, I experienced more and more pain and eventually we went to the hospital. And those days uh, in, the, um, in the 60s, um, it was the habit in Germany that the child should be left alone because uh, the separation of the mother was thought to re re-occur every time when she comes back to visit the child, which would give the nurses a lot of uh, work and which wouldn't be good for the child. The child should just uh, forget about the mother and get over it. Well, I wasn't the kind of child who was going to get over it uh, um, 
in a minute. So I was screaming all the time and I was put in, in, in dark rooms which uh, in order not to annoy uh, the other uh, children. And uh, I developed a real uh, severe abandonment trauma from, uh, from that. And also some ideas about um, being in my body and being expensive in my body. So from that moment on, I contracted very much mm. and I got very, very clumsy. So uh, whenever, uh, after being released from the hospital, I wouldn't even look at my mother because it wouldn't feel safe for me to trust somebody I love because she could leave me again and let me there to die. This was how I experienced it. And I wouldn't trust my body anymore. I wouldn't move uh, in, in a natural way. So from that time onwards, every year around the same time, I would break one of my limbs. Um, I would be uh, back into hospital and trying to overcome this separation somehow. Yeah, and also trying to, uh, to protect my body by being clumsy, you know. Normal children, they, they run, they jump, they, uh, they trust their body to do the work for them. For most people, it only happens in adulthood that they, uh, they become a bit more cautious. But I was that clumsy child from the beginning onwards. Yeah, and, uh, um, and then, of course, I had different kind of traumas uh, with being the weird one at school, being mocked, and uh, I didn't feel like being able to express who I was. Also because I was quite sensitive, which all led to, to contracting, contracting, contracting life, life force energy. So in the end, the only place left for me was my head. Mm -hmm. I was lying down in my bed reading books for most of the time. And this was where I was comfortable. This is how I turned out to be a professor. But, uh, well, in the end, you know, I had this body which was very uh, severely um, handicapped, I would say, which wouldn't even allow me to... Uh, um, to teach, I was a professor by the age of 30 and um, I couldn't teach for one whole class because of severe uh, uh, back pain. So I had to give uh, my students a kind of, uh, of work uh, to do on by themselves. And then I went to my room, lie down on my floor, scream, kicked and uh, uh, tried to, uh, to get myself into the shape for the next 15 minutes. And that was what I could do. I could be seated for 15 minutes without having to scream loud out of pain. So, um, well, anyway, that was what, what was motivating me to work with my body because uh, I couldn't have done even what I loved to do then, which was uh, uh, passing on theoretical knowledge. So that's to my background. 
And then one of your students um, was talking about this martial art, right? Yes. One of my students um, was writing his his master's thesis on on Aikido and the rehabilitation of uh, of male uh, um, of male criminals, uh, by lack of a better word, mm-hmm. um, uh, law transgressors or something. Yeah, and uh, um, because uh, my doctor had told me that if I would not be able to reduce uh, the amount of accidents I would cause to my body. He wouldn't be able to uh, uh, to fix me anymore because uh, almost all of my bones in my body had been used for uh, stabilizing other broken bones. So he really, my doctor told me, well, you need to learn how to put one foot in uh, in front of another without breaking anything mm. because. Uh, I won't be able to to stitch it up next time. And my my big problem was that I didn't even know where was left or right. So even even with car driving, when people said, well, look to the right, I would look to the left or drive to the right, I would drive to the other side and causing a lot of accidents that way. So when I read the the master's thesis of my student on Aikido, I understood that it was a lot of uh, um, getting to understand how the right side of your body and the left side of your body needs to be trained equally and how left and right uh, is a very, uh, um, very important concept within Aikido to to get your, your body into balance. So this was what got me interested because I thought, well, I asked him like, Hagen, can I learn how to, uh, can I finally learn the difference between left and right and learn the difference to feel that in my own body? And he said, yes, uh, this is uh, obviously something uh, which is so much practice uh, that uh, you will get it. Well, I thought he was, or he thought he was talking to a normal person. That means the person that has some consciousness, some awareness inside the own body. <laughs> Actually, I didn't have any there or so little that for me, it was quite, it took quite some time. Mm. To be honest with you, it took five years before I mastered the first technique and it took around uh, the same time to get an I a felt sense of left and right of my own uh, own uh, limbs yes but I learned it knowing what you know now do you think if it was taught in like some different way if the class was more trauma informed that it might have been a different timeline or a different experience Yes, I definitely think so. Um, first of all, in that time, um, Aikido was not at all uh, um, 
yeah, awareness-based. It was really more about transmitting the techniques and for people with a normal connection between mind and body, this automatically leads to a more increased awareness within your body. Mm. This happens automatically. But for people who have a disconnection uh, between mind and body, there needs to be some, some extra attention uh, to it. And this happens also in normal Aikido classes uh, nowadays, almost everywhere, whether they are trauma-informed or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are more aware of, uh, or teachers are more aware of bringing the, the consciousness, the awareness of the practitioners directly towards what is happening inside their bodies. Mm-hmm. So that would, would have been helpful for me but um maybe maybe not because if you are traumatized the attention inside your body can also be uh, re-traumatizing because it is inside your own body that that um, overwhelmed child within you experience the pain the panic uh, the disempowerment and um, if there is no, uh, no awareness about how trauma works, the uh, directing the attention towards the inside of the body might cause a shutdown in, in certain people. And it might have caused a shutdown in me that time. So maybe it was even good that it was only, uh, only focused on, uh, on transmitting the techniques. But definitely uh, um, knowing about how trauma works and knowing about how disconnection works and how to work with it would have made it easier. Um, I needed to get out of, of freeze. I was, uh, I was so regularly into, uh, uh, into freeze whenever I felt that I could not establish the connection between my mind and my body, um, that automatically triggered shame in me. You know, then I was asked to do something, a technique, and I didn't even figure out uh, uh, when I finally figured out how to, uh, um, uh, to lift my right arm. Of course, I had already forgotten about what my left foot was doing, you know. And uh, I couldn't get it all together to concentrate on the arm and on the leg at the same time, because that was such a a, a willful act for me. And uh, when I perceived that that I couldn't do it, I felt this shame. And this was a reenactment of the trauma of childhood, where of course I was always uh, shamed for my clumsiness. Mm. And uh, I wasn't even allowed to, uh, to carry any, um, any plate or dish to the, to the table because, uh, well, they said, well, you are going to let it drop anyway. So when, um, when I felt this shame, even though I wasn't shamed in my Aikido class, nobody told me like, uh, 
how stupid I was. Um, but we do this automatically, this comparison and this wanting to belong and wanting to do it right uh, triggers shame. So, and by the shame, I, I fell back into what is uh, uh, called uh, uh, the state of immobilization. And in the state of immobilization, I couldn't think anymore. The neofrontal cortex, which does all the, uh, the rational work, has to be online to understand what is happening. And then with the immobilization, uh, it got offline and I couldn't even understand what was going on anymore. So um, my teacher, who is still my teacher and a good friend of mine, fortunately was very patient. So he got that I didn't get it and it was just like, okay, take your time. And um, But somebody who would have understood what was going on inside of me could have coached me through. And I think it's very important for uh, uh, martial arts uh, um, teachers to read the signs of, uh, of the state of immobilization in their students. And when they get it, you know, you will know as a teacher that they need extra attention at that time and that they will not re-experience this a kind of abandonment trauma from themselves. Because when you are in a state of shame, you don't want to feel that. So you abandon yourself as well. And you just hope that this world will somehow uh, stop to exist or you stop to exist. And um, yeah, you will need connection. And uh, I also think that uh, martial art is something uh, has this core um, message of that eventually it's connection that saves you. And this is connection towards within the community, that is connection between mind and body. And this is connection between the practitioners. And when a martial art, art, uh, art teacher gets it that one of his students is disconnected from her own body and her own emotions. He could connect to co, what is called in the polyvagal theory, to, uh, to co-regulate. Or I, I understand that the traditional way of teaching martial arts does not really allow for that setup because a teacher cannot give that extra attention. But it's my idea of setting up martial arts classes in such a way as to, uh, to kind of uh, co-educate each other on trauma so we can mentor each other. You know, when one, uh, when one practitioner sees his or her fellow practitioner uh, uh, falling into a state of uh, uh, dysregulation, we could take time out uh, so that the normal class would not be uh, disrupted. This is just an idea I have for uh, how we could evolve uh, martial arts classes uh, to be more trauma sensitive. For sure. I mean, we, 
we have some idea already about the well the prevalence of trauma in our society but then I think the skewed prevalence of people who have experienced trauma within martial arts given that you know learning self-defense is is often a sequential next step in the healing process was you seek out things that are going to make you feel more empowered. So looking left and right on the mats, it's very likely that there are survivors among you. And so it makes perfect sense to think about a collaborative system whereby the students and the teachers are all looking out for each other. And like you said, um, having the tools in their toolkit to be able to co-regulate. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just... uh... Um, you just said something, uh, uh, what I wanted to jump into it, um, the, the idea that, uh, uh, that taking up a martial arts practice is the next step in, uh, in the healing process of, uh, of any kind of trauma. And I would just uh, uh, sus- uh, subscribe to that or affirm that. And um, yeah, and I would also encourage people to get um, to get aware of that because I think that most people are not aware of uh, of their own trauma history because so-called nothing significant might have happened in their own uh, in their own lives. Of course, if you are uh, uh, if you suffer from uh, 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 from post-traumatic stress disorder in uh, um, in in very obvious ways, you will know. But so many of us will not know that maybe the fact that uh, Mama didn't get you at time from uh, from preschool might have caused an abandonment trauma in you. Or uh, that being bullied by by your older brother made made you feel very insecure within your own body, to an extent that you uh, um, you downregulated or got disconnected from the uh, from the protective energy within yourself. You might not be aware of it but you might find yourself just attracted to uh, Kung Fu movies or uh, uh, and martial arts practice. And um, well, when, when you have that a- attraction, I think it's always it has something to do with your what, uh, um, what Anne Kimberly Johnson calls your predator, your your tiger inside calls you for. It's a call. It's a call to to connect with that energy that lives within you and that you are not uh, not comfortable with expressing. And um, yeah, the more you are aware of it, the more safe you can express that energy. I've been in martial arts classes um, everywhere in the world, but especially in countries where there, 
where the the fight for survival is more outspoken than in uh, in in Germany or the Netherlands or uh, the the Western world, where people are not aware at all, and where this call to uh, to connect with uh, uh, with the predator energy was not consciously channeled so that this this expression of predator energy became very unsafe where you could actually get re-traumatized in your martial arts class mm -hmm. because uh, your co-practitioner wouldn't know how to deal with his predator energy and you get hurt you know and uh, and also it becomes very much to what is called uh, in martial arts research, uh, body color sync. You know, it's all about getting tough and uh, getting the survivor and being, the, the me, being in the me up position, which is a good step for after being in the, uh, in the, in the down, uh, in the knee down position, it's still moving forward, but it might not be such a, a joyful and such a safe way to uh, uh, to follow. Yeah, it makes me think of how, like a true predator, right? Like the lion or the tiger doesn't need to fight to prove that they are a predator, right? They they fight when they need to, but they're not doing it, you know, just because. They're not doing violence just because. Whereas you might see, like in some dogs, for example, you know, like the really small ones, always with the big yapping, you know, <laughs> because they're like, they, they know they're small, but they want to try and step onto the predator's shoes without actually doing the work. And then I it, that was what it made me think of when you were talking then, because we do see this a lot in, in the martial arts world. Um, Western culture and otherwise is where people doing essentially um, the beating of the chest activities rather than the self-work than the growth. Yeah, there is a big, big difference between relying on the outside and, and acting from the real felt sense of confidence in your own body, in your own body-mind system. That is, uh, these are worlds, uh, worlds apart. And, uh, you know, at times you have to fake it until you make it. And it might start. And I'm very, I'm very aware that it has to start from the outside. So you have to learn some techniques and rely on the techniques first to feel that, okay, I do, there are resources out there which I can be not knowledgeable about, where I can resort to, which gives me some more safety. But be conscious that this is a stepping stone. And uh, in, in your own martial arts, I just invite you to see a different kind of practitioners from the inside, from the outside to the inside. They are the ones who are extremely good on the outside in their techniques, they are perfect. They work with muscle power, 
they work with, with the correctness of the technique and they, they work with, um, with a big display of, uh, of, the, uh, of signs of power. Mm-hmm. And the better they get, the calmer they get, the less emphasis is on the so-called correctness of the technique but more the harmony from which their own body acts with in accordance with the body of the attacker. And in the end, I mean, I used to have uh, such a great uh, teacher who died a few years ago, uh, Watanabe Sensei, he practiced no touch Aikido. Mm-hmm. He actually, uh, did not move a lot at all. He moved his energy and his energy was so powerful that he could um, unify with your energy and you would feel his no and his stop from such a distance that it was impossible for you to get into his, his sphere of uh, around his body. So even if you, uh, even if you, uh, if I told myself, I will show it this time, I can come through, this is just uh, esoteric blah, blah. I would be stopped just by his hand gesture, which was so confident that our systems united would not allow my system to violate his boundaries. And this is, this is the path of mastery. This is where we are going. But of course, if you see a master like this and you try to imitate him in your first class, this will be nothing than uh, grotesque uh, clownery, you know, uh, um, don't even try. You really, the path has to go from the outside towards the inside not the other way around, but be aware that uh, becoming, uh, becoming very strong physically will not save you from uh, all the harms of the world. Yes. Now I want to talk about the polyvagal theory, a favorite topic of yours and mine. And I, I would like, I think, to use this moment to say that if you are listening and you are very unfamiliar with the polyvagal theory, I think the video that you had shared with me in the past uh, with the group you're presenting to of the guy with the German accent, we'll we'll put the video link to that. It's just on YouTube and you might pause this podcast and go and sit down and watch and take some time to absorb and think about it. And, and maybe once you've got about a 50% of an idea, you think you got it, then come back and, and listen to this conversation because you're, this concept of thinking about the polyvagal theory in relation to martial arts truly blew my mind. So when we're talking about this idea of a circle with thirds made up of the social engagement system, fight or flight and freeze, and talking about the top half of the circle with a big chunk being made up of the social engagement systems. But if we're thinking about states in which growth can happen, for example, in the top half, that there is also time in fight or flight, time when we're in sympathetic arousal, and also time when we do want calming in our nervous system 
and this idea that martial arts actually help us cultivate both of those systems was an incredible light bulb moment for me when you spoke about that. So can you speak a bit more to that? Yes, I, I can. Um, yes, the idea that uh, uh, is currently uh, uh, or used to be very popular is that uh, um, being in fight or flight mode is, uh, is bad mm. and also being in immobilization is bad. Mm -hmm. And um, just we need to get out of it. We need to get uh, in the social engagement system or uh, the better, we need to get into totally zen, yes. you know, uh, uh, being so calm and composed that we can, we are flying above, uh, above it all, you know, untouchable in eternal bliss. Mm -hmm. um, this were, uh, this is a, a a very uh, uh, black and white picture, which actually, according to, to the polyvagal system, is not correct. In all three of uh, of the uh, the states of being, there is a, a, a healthy state or a balanced one and an unbalanced one. And interestingly, in, interestingly enough, we are not even looking to be only in the balanced state of the three because they are brought about by the unbalanced ones. I mean, only because I, I suffer from immobilization and I understand that it is very uncomfortable there. I'm looking for ways out. Mm. And this way out triggers my growth, triggers me to look for ways how I can overcome it. And if I were to look from uh, the, uh, the unbalanced uh, state of immobilization to get right into the state of calm uh, blissfulness, mm which some people do, and which is called uh, the spiritual bypassing. This is why people which are severely traumatized opt for sitting in the caves in the Himalayas, because they want to have a shortcut. And according to my knowledge, it doesn't work, or at least it doesn't work in... Uh, in the marketplace where we are all living, having normal lives and not being in the cave. I don't want to make any uh, uh, judgments about the cave, but uh, I can only talk from my own experience and it didn't work. Uh, when I want to get out of the immobilization in, of the unbalanced one, I, the, my next step, is to go into fight and flight, uh, flight, into the sympathetic arousal. And this feels very scary for most traumatized people. Why does it feel scary? Because the fight and flight, first of all, um, it is very probable that we might have tried it to save ourselves out of life threatening situations with fight and flight in the first phase, in the first uh, um, stay phase 
and it didn't work. Like for uh, in my example, when I was in the hospital, I was kicking and screaming uh, in order to to find back my mother, and it didn't work. Mm. I was even uh, punished more severely. I ended up in a dark room, isolated from all kind of human contact. Mm-hmm. And screaming more didn't help me at all. So in the end, what did help me was disconnecting totally and being paralyzed and uh, uh, numbing out. So when I want to free myself from immobilization, I will have that memory that the sympathetic aroused state didn't help me. Mm. So I will be afraid of even trying it again because it was so painful that it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So we need a lot of encouragement in that area to understand that you, this is just, this is a game. Let's do it. Let's take the cushion and, uh, and hit into it. Or let's uh, kick into the sand bag. Let's, uh, 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 let's just uh, run as fast as we can. Three rounds, we will go nowhere, but just do it for the fun of it. And in a trauma-sensitive uh, environment, we will know that, uh, that the practitioners with trauma history will feel very uh, much resistance to, to doing it and we will give the maximum of encouragement. And we will also know that it might lead to, um, uh, to uncontrolled states. So with beginners in, in, in a martial arts class, when we encourage them to, to show aggression in a positive way, we will know that they will not have the ways how to uh, how to really regulate that energy. And we will do it in a safe way. One of my, uh, my teachers, he was doing it in a very, he could see that I was very much inhibited in showing my aggression in, uh, in the sympathetic aroused state. So he would give me uh, a partner who was a uh, uh, one meter 80 big. He was uh, almost uh, 140. Uh, he was over 140 kgs mm-hmm. and he was young. He was 23 years. So there was no way I could uh, carry out any technique and having the idea that I could harm him in any significant way. So he would encourage me, like, hit him, hit him, hit him. He cannot, he can have it, you know. And I was so much scared that it would lead into the, the old, uh, into the old drama I had experienced. Mm-hmm. And only after I got confident that I could not harm him and that I could express that energy, I could feel the joy of expressing um, sympathetic uh, arousal, of expressing predator energy. It's adrenaline, it's fun, 
it's something which brings us back to life, you know, and it gets us, us out, of, out of freeze. And once we, we can connect, we can regulate. And when we can regulate from there, we can go into the social engagement uh, uh, state because we trust our bodies, we trust our energies, we trust ourselves to be safe around other people. And this safety is not only a safety that we can protect ourselves from the aggression of others, but we can also protect others from our, from our aggression. Mm -hmm. And this is the necess uh, necessary prerequisite for allowing our social engagement system to come, to come online and really enjoy that sweetness of connection. Wow. Yes. And what about the, the freeze or calm and being able to find quiet and still? Oh, yes. Finding quiet and stillness. And this is why it's a polyvagal cycle. Because uh, when we go from, let's say, the, the most uh, disconnected state, what I, uh, uh, the immobilization state, which I described, through the sympathetic arousal, through the social engagement system, we can come back from there to our most spiritual connected state, which is again a parasympathetic uh, uh, activated state of being where we feel so safe in our own body, in our own emotions and in the world around us. We can trust the world our fellow human beings, our community, the whole cosmos to such an extent that we can totally let go of fight and flight, of any of our nervous system activation and just relax into the sweetness of being. And this is this is what is called in the yoga world or the Hindu philosophy, the ananda, the blissfulness, which is our birthright, which is what we all have into us and which is what we are all seeking to experience. This is the state of love with no conditions, the, the yes to everything and anything and especially also the existence we are born into which we are. Yeah, and this is what makes the polyvagal circle round. And yeah. it can be because we are not moving, mm -hmm. you know, we are so still. And this is where you see this, this yogis in the Himalaya, because we are so still and we are not moving, we can be very easily um, kicked out of this blissfulness because not moving means that, uh, that we are also vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It's the state where we can allow vulnerability 
But this vulnerability we can only allow if our neofrontal cortex is online. This means the, the observer is, is awake. We observe our internal being and we can also observe the outside. And we know that we have all the reasons for feeling this safety. Yes, and uh, if uh, we are not totally awake, which most of us, we are not all the time, our, uh, um, our, the, the lower parts of our nervous system, the, our instincts and the amygdala has to take care of it and make sure we are safe when any possible threat is perceived. So we contract again and we go into fight and flight to bring our body back into safety, which makes totally sense, which makes us actually being part of this world and being part of the beyond this world. And then there we can go again. And if we have trauma in our history, mm -hmm. then we will experience what uh, Peter Levine said that trauma is the inability of being awake, then our neocortex will shut down the moment we, uh, we perceive threat and we, will might, we might fight, uh, fall into immobilization in order to protect ourselves from the predator. Because when we don't move, we are very unattractive to, uh, to predators. They don't eat meat that is rotting away for already three days. So then we go again, we can, we can uh, um, enter this, the polyvagal circle again. And every time we enter again and we, uh, we go through uh, activation of the sympathicus, activation of the social engagement uh, system, experience uh, the the okayness of, of being and the blissfulness and then shutting down again. Every time we do it, it's not that we, we go back from where we came. It's like a spiral movement. We are spiraling up every time we gain new experiences and we come to enjoy every phase of the process. Nothing is bad then. Not even the face of immobilization is bad as such. It's part of a joyful journey. This is a lot to digest. If we think about this in the context of martial arts, I'm going to try and really, really simplify all of what you've just very eloquently explained. But we can think about this idea that when we experiment with these aggressive states or perceived aggression, when we spend time within our sympathetic nervous system, within fight or flight by acting them out or playing some combination of those things, then we teach our nervous system that it is okay to revert to that system when we need to use immobilization and we can continue to cycle back through. And as we do that, we you could say we widen our window of tolerance. You could also say we create more flexibility within our polyvagal system to be able to shift between states, but also within each state, rather than immobility being a state of fear, of freeze as a coping strategy, it can become 
what I imagine as like a calm place with bean bags and cushions and and where you know that even though the whole world is there to come in, there is no threat and no danger and you can breathe. And that's what martial yes. arts can do for us. <laughs> I, I like that you, uh, um, the way how you uh, summarized it so nicely then. Thank you. And I also like that you mentioned breathing. The whole, uh, the whole process is one of breathing in, breathing out. And um, yeah, in all awareness-based uh, practices, the breath plays a, a major role. And um, yeah, and in, in getting aware of your uh, uh, tracking your own neurological states, I find it in very important to notice how am I breathing or am I breathing at all? What is, what is the quality of my breath and can I feel my breath? Because breath can bring you online and bring you back into growing from all of your experiences again. And this is such a, a, a deceptively simple tool because it's so powerful. Yeah, and I like. I also liked uh, um, the the title of of the book of uh, the founder of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, Gracie uh, Rickson, who uh, who called his uh, uh, his book just breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, it's a very it good book. A, it's a very good yeah, book. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's something we can do everywhere and anywhere. We do not need a dojo or any, uh, any tools. Uh, consciously breathing is, uh, is a form of, uh, of growing, a form of transforming, and also a form of martial arts. Wow. As we come towards running out of time I feel like we might not have touched upon everything that we wanted to perhaps we'll end up doing a part two of this conversation actually I have very little doubt that that will end up happening um we have alluded to a lot of the parts that I think would be in your answer but I want to ask you more simply the question that I ask everybody on this podcast which is why do we hear so frequently people saying martial arts saved my life yeah it saved my life because it brought me out of, out of freeze. It brought me into my body. It allowed the connection between my mind, my emotions, and my, uh, my body. And um, it brings me joy every time I, I practice it. And um, yeah, whatever my life circumstances might be, I can be who I am. On, uh, on the mat and I'm incredibly graceful for that Anna if people want to connect with you online through social media are there any channels where you're available yes please um, they can uh, write me an email uh, I have uh, published uh, some things on uh, Academia Edu which is available for everyone body uh, free of charge and um, you can send me a whatsapp we'll put all the details to those there i should also say that 
and I was working at the moment to publishing a peer-reviewed paper about this this work that she has been doing recently and and all the things we've spoken about in this episode and more. And I would strongly encourage everyone to read it when it does come out. So I think maybe the easiest way to do that is to, you know, keep touching base maybe with me on social media or to be on my mailing list. And I'll probably do a dedicated email to tell everyone when this article has come out and to give my thoughts and to share links where people can find it if it is going to be, um, public access. Thank you very much for uh, for giving me some publicity. Thank you. I think it's so is so important as I as I have mentioned I have the utmost respect for you as somebody who I think really has put very good thought into these ideas which I think really like the whole point of this podcast existing is the fact that We have this abstract idea that martial arts could be therapeutic, but we don't really know why. And if we don't really know why, we can't distill that into creating better therapeutic programs for people. And I think your research is going to be a core contributor to that change. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. And uh, yes, and thank you for, for the work you are doing and bringing this into the world. You are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? I'm grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus. You need to know that nobody shapes me but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. Half in nothing, no complacence. Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster. They hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause... I'm the one the power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets, we're so glad you came in. The feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifest enough collecting all they tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection I could see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me. They can't chronicle 
all my experiences and reduce them to appearances when i was truly beaten gave myself clearances to fall down mess up and get myself back up i'm not looking for clovers because i don't believe in luck damn you were badass i heard them say it clearly why thank you very much i know now i'm not weary of what's next for me because i expect to see growth like i was planted watered fed and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability no one they won't step if i'm the agent of my agency i think i found my voice again huh i think i found my voice again huh i'm not sorry i'm not sorry you're the end where i begin boundaries i know them well take a breath and meditate who is she i know her well now i get to open gates one two one two i don't need your permission and if you get uncomfortable then use your intuition to know that i won't stay where respect is ever missing and everything i do that's me making decisions is truly underrated the value of self-worth forgot that i was rich from the moment of my birth a penny for my thoughts no really you can't afford it you cannot buy my story rewrite it or record it you cannot buy my story rewrite it or record it huh?